obviously. All right, if you could open up your Bibles to Acts, the book of Acts, uh, chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 1 through 13. Acts 4, 1 through 13. Close to Rome, yes. <laughs> All right. Everybody got it? Acts 4, chapter 3, and it's verses 1 through 13. Let's start with verse 1. It says, And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes, and Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and as many as were kindred of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have ye done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of a good, the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. That they had been with Jesus. I um a little story for you this morning. I uh, went to visit my dad last week, second visit in, a couple, in uh, three months, and had a, had really a good time visiting my dad. I'm going to be real this morning. Sorry if I'm out of character, but I'm going to be real with you. <laughs> I had a visit with my dad, and um, he's on his deathbed. He's probably, matter of fact, I got a phone call this morning, and uh, he's probably going to pass away anytime. So, but when I went to this visit, a friend of his, and when I was a kid, my dad was always a cop. He always worked the inner city. Everybody knew my dad. So whenever we'd go somewhere and he was working or whatever it was, everyone knew who he was. Everyone knew it was Sergeant Thomas. He ran the South District. But this one man that was over him was Lieutenant Russell Wells. And I always had great admiration for Russell because he just seemed like a man that had it all together. He was put together. He was, he was always gentle, humble. Always seemed like he was you know, peaceable. And I always liked him. And so I haven't seen him in years. So when I was home, he came over to see my dad. My dad is in rough shape, obviously. He comes in. And what astonished me about Russell is when I saw him, he looked exactly like he did when I was a kid. There was no difference to him. It, I was like, man, you haven't aged a day. He looked awesome. And so I'm thinking, you know, and there's just something about his face. You know, he's like an old teddy bear. You know, you just want to give him a hug or something. But he comes in and and shook my hand, and, and, you know, he still had the little gold chain on his hand, and everything was, like, just there, you know, it was Russell, you know, and, and it was so good to see him, but he went and he saw my dad, he visited with him for a little bit, and uh, 
he was crying, you know, and I'd never seen, um, you know, remembering how he was when I was a kid and how strong he seemed, it kind of hit me by surprise that he was crying, you know, with my dad, but I, I realized how close his bond was with him and what he meant to him. And then to see this man that was always in my, you know, my dad that was always so strong in this condition. And it brought Russell to tears. And Russell was crying. And he said, anything I can do, he said, I'm going to do it. As a matter of fact, he's, I'm going to be here every day to help you out. And so he made a commitment to my mom to be there, to take trash out, to do whatever she needed to be done. And a man who was so blown away at the fact that there's death standing right in front of him, laying right in front of him. And let me tell you what, two days later after he left the house, Russell dropped it himself. And to understand that when you're looking at death and you're thinking, wow, how can this affect this man? How can this affect that man? And you walk out and you don't know the day or the hour when it might be your day. That death doesn't come in the form of a cancer. It doesn't come just in the form of somebody laying on a bed, but it can come at any time. And it's a wake-up call to say, that hour may be tomorrow. That hour may be tonight. We don't know the hour. So what do we do when we don't know the hour? Let me tell you something. Two people die every second. Two people die every second. 105 people die in one minute. 6,316 people die in an hour. 151,600 people die every day. I mean, let's get real, you know. But this time is short. And the time we spend here on this earth is nothing compared to the eternity that you're going to spend after this life is over. So why do we put so much time into this life? And why don't we put more time into that life? You know, no one knows the day. Every day is a gift, but each that day that that happens is appointed by God. Hebrews 9.27, it says, And it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. You know, there's no mincing those words. After this the judgment, and if... If we know that people are out there that haven't made a decision for Christ, they're going to have to stand alone themselves on that day before God and face judgment. But we have something in us. We have something that we know that assures them that they don't have to face judgment alone. We have something to offer them that allows Christ to take their place. And there are many people that face that. Many. That pass every day. And we know them. And we're not sure whether they really receive Christ or not. And it's a reality that we have to face as believers that this thing is real. You know, this thing's real. And I'm not here to scare everybody, but this message has been laid on my heart for a while. And, uh, but this is real. This isn't a game. It's not something that just comes and goes, but it's, a, it's, it's real. And that, that, that moment happens so quickly. You know, uh, the ones we love pass away. But they're not dead. And, and that's one thing we have to understand. Is there, there is no death there. There's an eternity for every person. But there's an eternity whether it's going to be in heaven or whether it's going to be unfortunately in hell. But we want those people desperately in our hearts to know who is Christ. And for him to stand in their place. But do we have boldness in living for Jesus Christ? Because your boldness may help them and be the factor that allows them to stand and prepare for that day. Are you living boldly for Christ? Because when we get there, we'll look back and say, why did I live any other way? Why didn't I prepare? Because 
Everything here is Christ. So why wasn't everything there Christ as well? In John 15, 26 and 27, it says, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. You know, bearing witness unto Jesus or for Jesus is not an option. Bearing witness for Jesus is our lives. Where our life is built around the fact that we bear witness to who Jesus Christ is, don't we? He's changed everything for us. He's done something in us that we can't really keep quiet about because it's such a change and it's such a, a, a newness inside of us that we have a, an unction, naturally, to speak about it. It's not that we're being annoying, although sometimes you think that, you know, think, oh, these people are talking about Jesus and, you know, and salvation and... But it's serious. And that's why we're so adamant about it, isn't it? Not to go beat somebody over the head, but in love say, you know, know my Lord. Know who he is. Because when it comes to that time, I'll tell you what, when my dad's facing death or whoever's facing death, you don't care about the stock market. You don't care about political issues. You don't care about social injustice, although social injustice is bad. But what you care about, are you ready? Are you ready for that day? Are you, have you met my Savior? Has He stood in your place? Have you accepted? Have you been washed in the blood? That's what's important at that moment. You don't think about other stuff. And even the most adamant atheist will in some way reverence God. Even Joseph Stalin when he was on his deathbed, the biggest atheist there was, right before he died, he looked up to heaven and he shook his fist to heaven and he died. So he even acknowledged his rebellion towards God. But we're to bear witness to those people who don't know him yet. Are you bold in your faith? Are you bold in how you live? Are you bold in sharing the name of Jesus Christ? Are you so convinced of who Jesus is in your life and what he's done in your life that you don't have a problem speaking up and saying, I declare this unto you? Are you so convinced of his power to forgive sin and change lives to the point where you declare it openly? Or are you, are you afraid? Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no one is pursuing them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. The righteous are as bold as a lion. Would we describe our lives as being bold? Would we describe our lives as being bold? This is the way boldness is defined. It says, Showing an ability to take risks, confident and courageous, brave, valiant, fearless, unafraid, undaunted, full of valor. Or sometimes you feel like you're fleeing when nobody is pursuing. You ever get that feeling like someone's chasing you around? And you think, man, I, I'm going 100 miles an hour right now, and I don't know why I'm doing it. You know, and you're, you're running from thing to thing, and you're like, man, nobody's even chasing me, and I feel like somebody's chasing me, you know? And, and, uh, but do we feel that way, or do, are we bold and confident in our declaration of Christ and Christ in our lives or do we do we flee maybe we don't lack courage but maybe what we need is stronger convictions in our lives maybe we need a stronger conviction that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt of who I live for and why I'm alive right now Amen. I'll tell you I had a experience when I left Indiana and Indiana was just strange for me this time it was it was strange in a good way because me and my, my mom and dad had been estranged for a number of years. And so to go home 
And not only to be able to spend time with my dad and to touch him and to hug him and, and tell him over and over again I loved him, but to be there for my mother. Uh, because me and my mother had been estranged, but for her to rely on me. And you've got to understand, for years we were estranged. And it was always the weird relationship. You ever have one of those with your parents? Some weird thing going on? Well, that was me. And, but to be able to be there and for her all of a sudden to rely on me, for her to come to me and say, will you pray, was strange. But I was able to pray. And she was so blessed that I was there. She was telling me over and over again, I'm so happy you're here, so happy you're here. And I became like a rock for her. And it was weird. And then this morning she called me. And the first thing she said, you're the first person I called. And I was like, man, Lord, you've done some work. Because I would have never been the first person she called. But I was the first person she called. Because I decided, this is my life. This is who I stand for. This is what I do. This is whose I am. And it's not going to change whether I'm in Indiana at her house or whether I'm at my house or whether I'm walking down the street. I'm going to live for Christ. And I'm going to declare him no matter what I do. Do we declare him no matter what we do? Or do we feel like fleeing? So I prayed. I left there and I prayed. And I said, Lord, use me on the trip home. Do whatever you can. Use me, Father. Let me be bold enough to speak about you when I come in contact with somebody. And so I got on the plane and I thought... You know, Lord, if you want me to talk to somebody, you bring them next to me. You know, and let me be the one to start the conversation. And I got on on board, and I chickened out a little bit. I don't start this, you know, talk about you know the Lord. And, and so all of a sudden, I got this little old lady just sitting next to me. And I thought, no, nah, you know, I'll wait. You know, and she pokes me and goes, "Where are you going?" And I was like, "Oh, okay." So I, she starts the conversation. I'm talking to her, and, and lo and behold. Um, we start talking about ice cream because that's easy to get into. Everyone loves ice cream. But then we start talking about the Lord. She had lost her husband six months before to cancer. And I told her what was going on with my dad. And she needed to know that she was covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. She had gone to church. She respected me immensely for being a pastor, but she had gone to church. But she didn't understand that by accepting Christ that his blood covers your sin. And she wanted to know how that worked. And I told her and talked to her about the, the healing power of Christ, the salvation power of Christ, and the fact that she knew and was confident now that she was saved. And what a conversation we had. But how many times do we cut that off and not talk about it? Because we think we're going to offend somebody. And that's what the world would tell us is that we're going to offend somebody if we talk about Jesus because they've heard it before. And everyone slapped him in the face with it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to upset anybody. But if we would just open ourselves up. You know, maybe not smack them over the head to begin with, but enter into a general conversation and then turn it to something that talks about Christ. How many people would be open to receive it and understand it and say, I need that that you have? First Corinthians 16, 13, Paul tells the church in Corinth, he says this, he says, watch, stand fast in faith, and be strong. And we can guarantee the enemy of our souls doesn't want us to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't want, to, want us to talk about the truth and witnessing, but when you know him and you've spent time with him, you have no choice but to talk about him. You have no choice but to communicate who he is because, man, he's done something in you. He didn't smack you over the head with a pile of rules, but he smacked you over the head with his blood. He smacked you over the head with his love. He smacked you over the head with his salvation. And the fact that when you stand before that day, you don't stand alone, but you stand in the power and the witness in the blood of Christ. And when God looks at you, he looks at him and says, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Enter in, ye who's been prepared 
of my kingdom. So stand fast. Witness, even though you might not feel like it because it might be the enemy telling you, don't witness, but you have to witness because you know Christ. Be ready to show and share. Are you convinced that Jesus Christ is the truth? And if so, are you speaking up about it? If not, what stops you? What stops you? Fear of man? Fear of rejection? The truth is we know we're going to be persecuted so we can expect it. We're told to expect it. Matter of fact, the prince of the world wants to silence you. He wants to take away your witness for Christ. He wants to take away the messages you have to give. And he wants, to think that, wants you to think that you're going to be rejected of men. And you might be, but you'll never be rejected of Christ. Have you lost your joy in Christ? If so, what's stolen your joy? Do we really realize what we have in him? Even in the most dire circumstances, do you realize what you have in Christ? And we look around at things, and when we get in those, those fits of, of pity with ourselves, you know, you ever been in one of those? I, I've been in one of those a few times. You know, oh, Lord, my car's got a flat tire. Oh, God, help me. You know, or, Lord, I'm late on the bills, and, and Father, I, I, I'm not a good witness if I don't pay the bill on time, and, and, but I can't. And, you know, then you get all stressed out, you know, and you're thinking, you know, what, what are you talking about, you know? Proclaim who you have in Christ and let that joy be full in you. And that will come out when you communicate the message of Christ. Don't let the enemy steal your joy because your joy is powerful to the unbeliever. It's powerful for you. But do you realize what you have? Do you realize the promise that you have that shouldn't steal your joy? Do you realize your heavenly home that awaits? Don't let the enemy steal your joy because if you have joy, you have boldness of faith. So naturally, the enemy wants to steal your joy, but think about your promises. Don't be persuaded by the PC police that says, shut your mouth. Don't talk about that. That's not appropriate here. Talk about it. Declare it. There's a silent voice that says that. It's inappropriate to the point where you would start believing it's wrong to talk about it. Well, I probably shouldn't talk about it here, or maybe I should wait. Maybe I should pick the perfect time. Maybe I should wait until I'm friends with him for a month, two months. Three months, six months, a year, two years. You can tell them right away. You can tell them why the hope you have, why you have the hope you have. So fear of man steals our ability to minister. What else steals our ability to minister is worry. We have a tendency to worry about things in this life. And if we truly understood who we are and what we are, we wouldn't walk around and worry. We wouldn't think about all the things we think about. Think about how much time Worry steals from your day and your ability to minister Jesus Christ. We worry like crazy. We're, we're the, the, the generation of worriers. We worry about the fact that we don't worry. And when we don't worry, we're like, well, why aren't I worrying? Shouldn't I be worried about something that I'm not worrying about? And it, it goes in cycles, you know? But we waste so much time in worry. But here we are obey, disobeying the command that Jesus gives us in Matthew 6. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life. Take no thought for your life what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? You know, if you're living for Christ, 
and you decide that today, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm not going to worry about what I have to do, Lord, but what do you want me to do? And Lord, I'm going to be open to doing that thing that you've called me to do. No matter who comes my way, Lord, tell me what I'm to do. If you have that, you can guarantee the Lord's going to bless you and he's going to provide for you because you are communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ and you're an open vessel. He's going to take care of you. Speak up. If you're living for Christ, it's so much easier to talk about Christ. If you're truly living for Jesus Christ, it's so much easier to talk about Jesus Christ because you've spent time with him. And there's no inconsistency between your life and your speech. And you're prepared all the time because you've prepared by how you're living and you're prepared for when you speak because it lines up. And you're speaking about the thing that you know to be true in Jesus Christ. So speak up. Are we living for Jesus? Is that our focus or are we focused on our own desires? You know, don't we get run down when we have this desire and then all of a sudden the desire doesn't come to fulfillment and we're, Lord, why did you let that happen? Why didn't I get it? And he's like, I never told you to desire that thing. So you wouldn't be upset when you didn't get it because you're never supposed to want it in the first place. <laughs> but if you're living for him and he's your focus, it's easy to speak about him. But are we focused on our own desires, our own problems, our own grievances? If you would have saw what that person did to me, you would understand why I'm so angry. You would understand why I'm not going to give in on it. You'd understand. And we go in those type of ways, don't we? We talk about it like that. And it's like, what are, we, what are we doing? What are we thinking about? Because when you stand in front of him on that day, that's the last thing you're going to be thinking about. You're going to be like, oh, my word, wasn't that petty? Wasn't I an idiot? But I know the truth of Christ. What stops our speech? Sometimes it's because we know it's not popular. And we get bombarded, don't we, day in and day out, that the message of Christ isn't popular. But let me tell you something. When someone's hurting, when someone's dying, when someone's in need, I guarantee you your message is going to be popular with that person. So don't listen to what's not popular, what is popular just the fact that it's not popular doesn't mean we, don't, we, we stop speaking, but we should speak all the more. John 15, 18 and 19 says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. And though the world may hate us, we don't stop warning them of that day to come and of the one that kept us from that fate. I had that thought last night. Sorry, I wrote that down. Matthew, Matthew 5, 11 and 12. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice. Rejoice. You say, how can I rejoice when everyone's talking about me? And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you how. Because the word told you it was going to happen. The word told you it was going to happen. So don't think something odd has come upon you. But just know that that's what he told us. And then he says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Whenever I say rejoice, I think about Joyce. And I don't know why, but it makes me happy. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And get this, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. 
So are you speaking about Jesus Christ? Are, are you communicating the gospel through your life and through your, your speech? Are you declaring how to be saved from wrath from God? Because someone's eternal destiny depends on it. Be bold in love. Be bold in your message. Spend time with Jesus. Speak about what you know to be true. And watch God work in your life. Watch him work in your life. Watch what he puts together. Watch what he brings your way. Watch the things that will bless your socks off because you decided, Lord, I'm going to make myself ready for you and to speak about your word, to speak about your truth, to speak about who you are in Jesus Christ. It's not something that we have to go to school for. We don't have to go to seminary. We just need to spend time with him. And all of a sudden we know because we spent time with him. I'm going to end with this story. And um, this is a story about a group of men. It's um, back in 320 AD. It's when Constantine was emperor. And there's this group of men, and they were called the Thundering Legion. And they were a, a group of soldiers that were Roman soldiers, and they were the most pristine group of soldiers you've ever seen. They were strong. They were tough. They were courageous. They were everything that everyone wanted to be. And there was a group of 40 men, and they had the power to take on any army. They were just amazing. They knew how to handle swords. They knew how to fight. And they were called the Thundering Legion. But something happened with the Thundering Legion because they were the pride of Rome. But all of a sudden, the Thundering Legion became saved. And they accepted Jesus Christ, all 40 of them. And so there was an instant rift between the Thundering Legion and the Empire of Rome. Because if you were in the Empire of Rome, your God was Caesar. So all of a sudden there was a problem. So the Roman, I'm going to read, the Roman governor stood resolutely before the 40 Roman soldiers of the Thundering Legion and he said this after he found out. He said, I command you to make an offering to the Roman gods. If not, you'll be stripped of your military status. The 40 soldiers all believed firmly in the Lord Jesus. They knew they must not deny him or sacrifice to the Roman idols no matter what the governor would do to them. Camidus, who was the leader, spoke for the legion. And he said this, he says, nothing is dearer or of greater honor to us than our Christ our God. They refused to obey the edict, choosing instead to obey a higher authority. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. The governor then tried other tactics to get them to deny their faith. First, he offered them promises of money or imperial honors. Then he threatened them with torments and torture with a rack, of, with a rack and fire. Camdenus replied, you offer us money that remains behind and glory that fades away. You seek to make us friends of the emperor, but alienate us from the true king. We desire one gift, the crown of righteousness. We are anxious for one glory, the glory of the heavenly kingdom. We love honors, but those honors are in heaven. You threaten fearful torments and call our godliness a crime, but you will not find us faint-hearted or attached to this life or easily stricken with terror. For the love of God, we are prepared to endure any kind of torture. The governor was enraged. They were ordered to remove all their army, all their clothing. They were herded into the middle of a frozen lake. And they were standing there naked to die a slow, painful death. He set the soldiers to guard them to prevent any from escaping. They were told, you can come ashore when you're ready to deny your faith. The 40 encouraged each other. And as though they were going to battle, they encouraged each other. And they said, how many of our companions in arms fell on the battlefront, showing themselves loyal to an earthly king? 
Let us not turn aside, O warriors. Let us not turn our backs to fight in flight from the devil. To tempt, and, to, to tempt and increase the torment of the Christians, fires were built on shore with warm baths, blankets, clothing, and hot food and drink close by. The mother of the youngest soldier was present and encouraged her son from the bank. The men began to pray, O Lord, 40 wrestlers have come to fight for thee. Grant that 40 wrestlers may gain the victory. As daylight faded, 40 warriors continued to resist, courageously bearing their, their pain in spite of the bitter cold. Some walking quickly to and fro, some already sleeping in that sleep which ends in death, and some standing lost in prayer, rejoicing in the hope of soon being with the Lord. Finally, one legionary could endure the suffering no longer. He succumbed to the temptation and left the ice for the warm house that was guarded by a centurion named Sempronius and his men. On the ice, the remaining 39 men stood firm. Still the petition went up from those able to speak. O Lord, 39 wrestlers have come forth to fight for thee. Grant that 39 wrestlers may gain the victory. Their prayer was answered. To the surprise, everyone, Sempronius, to the surprise of everyone, Sempronius the centurion was touched by the comrade's bravery and the Holy Spirit moved upon his heart. He threw off his armor, his weapons, his clothing, and he ran to join the 39 remaining Christians on the ice, confessing Jesus Christ, crying out loudly, I am a Christian. They once again said, O Lord, 40 wrestlers have come forth to fight for thee. Grant that 40 wrestlers may gain the victory. Sempronius declared loudly, I am a Christian. And they welcomed him into their company so that the number of the martyrs remained at 40. And by morning, 40 glorious spirits, Sempronius among them, had entered into the presence of Christ. Some call it the mystery of martyrdom. But why would seeing 39 believers who were willing to die for their faith inspire a highly trained soldier in the prime of his life to join them in death? It's amazing to see how God works through these tragic situations to call more people to himself. All the men died of exposure, although one source says that a few in whom a little life remained were stabbed to death by dawn. I'm not saying that to say it's a bad story, but I'm telling you, the way we live and the fact that we live in boldness for Christ does something to the people watching us. They can't understand why we would go and believe in Christ through thick and thin. Your life is a witness to who Jesus Christ is. Are you walking in boldness today? Will you stand with me? Lord, we, we love you. We thank you, Lord. Father, that you're not a story. You're not a figment of our imagination. But Lord, you are the truth that we live by. You are the goodness, Father, that has saved us, that has set us on our way. Father, you are the reality that we have within us. Father, what a blessing it is to live for you. Father, give us strong convictions in who you are and who you are in our lives, Lord, that we boldly proclaim who you are. We boldly proclaim the gospel message of Christ, the saving power of your blood. That we're not afraid, we're not ashamed, Lord, that we are not scared, Father, and when we come in contact to people to declare who you are. Father, forgive us where we feared rejection. Forgive us where we have feared people 
despising us even, Lord, for being of you. Father, you warned us that this would happen. You warned us that the world would hate us. But Lord, great is our reward in heaven. Lord, let us live boldly for you. Not despising the cross. Not worrying about the shame, Lord, that comes in this world, Father, because we know we'll never have shame with you. And Father, when we get to heaven, Lord, to have a a group of people that look at us and say, thank you for telling me about Jesus Christ because he is the only thing that matters right now. For us, he's the only thing that matters now in this life. Are you living boldly for Christ because someone's watching? Someone's watching. Don't be afraid to speak. Don't be afraid to tell them the hope you have. It's who you are. Let it be who you are. Father, we praise you. We thank you today, Lord. Father, change us. Lord, help us to declare who you are. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name.